welcome to Substance Not Psychobabble. I'm your host, Vanessa Bentley. It's good to be with you this week. We have a really special guest on, but before I introduce him, this was such a fascinating conversation. I'm really excited to share it with you. But before I introduce him, a couple of announcements. There is still just a little bit of space left in the online naturopathic psychotherapy group. So if you want to be part of that group, click the link in the show notes, okay? We have a couple of slots left. I'm so excited to start this group. This journey is going to be transformational for the people that participate in the group and also for me. I decided that I'm going to kind of go through the packet with my participants and participate in the process. So I'm so excited to be in a growth process with the people who will be in this group. So if you're interested, click the link in the show notes. All right. Today's guest is Michael Giles. Now, I met Michael online. Okay, we are part of the same Facebook group for therapists. Little did I know when I joined this group that Michael actually started this group on Facebook. And it's called the Critical Thinking Therapist Group. And he affectionately calls it the slowest growing group on Facebook because unfortunately, the field of psychotherapy tends to be a little bit monolithic. And all that means is that there's just a lot of groupthink. It sounds so counterintuitive, doesn't it? You would think that therapists would be individual thinkers and encouraging that, but it's actually not that way. Um, The world of therapy, the world of mental health is very homogenous. And so for people that are thinking critically, believe it or not, this this might disgust you. I kind of hope it does disgust you. For those of us who are thinking critically, we're the outliers. So I joined this group, and it has not disappointed at all. Um, The discussions are great. The people in the group ask really provocative questions, which should be happening among therapists. But like I said, groupthink has taken over so many sectors of society, and mental health is no different. So I'm really excited to share this conversation with Michael Giles about counseling men. And you'll hear throughout the interview, there are many places of agreement between us. There are some places of discovery because we really don't know each other at all until this interview. And then there are some places of disagreement. So I'd love your thoughts about that. Here is Michael's bio. He's a dog lover, a guitarist, and a part-time army captain. He's also a psychotherapist who's been helping people improve their lives for more than 15 years as a counselor, an EMDR therapist. If you know what If you don't know what that is, I'm not going to go into it right now. Um, Google it. (laughs) Just Google EMDR. Lots will come up. But he's trained in that. He's a social worker, a hypnotist, which is fascinating. I wish we got to that in our interview. And he's a life coach. Michael's experience includes working in hospice, with the military, with veterans, men and women, but he specializes in working with men. He's the author of Relationship Repair for Men, which focuses on the work that men can do on their own to improve their relationships, and the originator of the Critical Thinking Therapist group on Facebook, which might be the slowest growing therapist group on social media. So without further ado, here is my interview with Michael Giles. So the reason, welcome, Michael. Thank Um, you. Yeah, thanks for being here. This is really fun for me. I have enjoyed your posts. I joined your Facebook group, Critical Thinking Therapists. Let's start there. Um, oh, great. Yeah, what, I'm uh, what my, made my you mind start is. This? I mean, when I saw the title of this group, I think another colleague invited me in and thought Vanessa okay. would probably like this. And then I saw the title and I thought, okay, I'm a little skeptical because therapists these <laughs> days really aren't critical thinkers, they're cool <laughs> drinkers. So, I hate to say it. I hate to say it, but it's true. So I thought, well, let me me jump in. And then I started seeing your posts come up and I was like, you know, this guy's got something to say. So tell me about that. 
goodness. Okay, so I, I don't know where to I don't know where to start. Um, uh, sometimes you know, sometimes people show up and 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 they have really really great rational discussions about um, about issues that that relate to therapy. Um, other times, a, a topic will be introduced that um, that some members are not going to feel feel comfortable with. Yeah. And the the, the rules of polite discourse right. go out the window. Yeah, and therapists. You no, know, but, but it's not even you know it's not even it's not even about being polite. It's 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 situations where, um, where where there are some pretty strong indicators that the goal is not a better understanding, but the goal the goal seems to be to win to undermine somebody that that you disagree with. Right. Um, it's uh, yeah no it's it's fascinating it's fascinating that. So it's, so I'll back up. So, so the, the group, the group was my idea um, in, in 2020 or 2021 following, um, following an, an increased focus on social justice among therapists and social media. And, um, and it, it seemed as though therapists were doing a generally bad job of of having these discussions yeah um i i was very naive to that until i saw a post in in a local group somebody posted i address whiteness with all my well white clients do you or or do you not if not why so i thought all right so this is this is a this is a pretty public forum she is asking a question, I'm going to assume good faith. So I respond that I, I don't, that, that I'll respond, that I, that I will address with clients, I'll address the, the issues that um, according to our, our assessment and according to their goals are going to best support what they want to accomplish in therapy. Exactly. And then a, a number of another number of other members in the group criticized me for um, centering on on my whiteness with that response. What I'm or, hearing is you're centering on the client, but go on. Well, sure, yeah that that's another that's another way of looking at it. Yeah, um, and I, I was quite disturbed. I was, you know, what we what is what is this? You know, we. We, you know, the different credentials that therapists have, I'm, I'm pretty sure we all, you know, client self-determination is, is a part of that for, for all of that, all of us. Um, but some people responded to me that that's beside the point. I, I tried to get into some discussions, some, some leveling, some, um, you know, some, some finding common ground. Um, and, uh, and it didn't go great. Right. Then, um, then I saw a member of the group um, comment on how he understands about the concept of white fragility, but he thinks that the the word fragility in itself is an obstacle. 
um, for the, the concept having a good effect. And then a number of people responded, well, that is the word and you need to accept that word. And then people were telling him, well, if you have difficulty accepting this idea, then you need to go and sit with your feelings. Wow. Yep. Um, and I, um, I, I chimed in that it seemed like, you know, it seemed like the aggression that he was experiencing was, um, wasn't helpful. Um, but it, it became, it became quite clear that uh, there was a very powerful force in some of these groups and that the groups were not being moderated um, according to what would actually facilitate rich discussions, but were being moderated um, in order to support people accepting ideas that that they thought must be accepted. Yeah. So they were um, supporting groupthink. Yes. Yes, very much so. Yes, mm -hmm. very much so. Um, so I, I started another local group um, and which, which doesn't have a lot, there's, there's, there's not a lot of, uh, of prompting about the difficult topics. It's, you know, it's more of a, a networking and referral group. Um, but it's also one where, where the moderators are not going to actively um, moderate in order to support the group think. And then I, then I also started the, the critical thinking group, which is not a local group, which is there, there are members all over the world. Um, where are you? Where, I don't know where you are. Oh, where I am. Yes. So I'm, I'm in Austin, Texas. Okay. Yeah. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. You're in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. So yeah. So we're, we're, we're practically neighbors. That's exactly right. Okay. Go on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so I started, I started the critical thinking group. Yep. And um, and in order to provide opportunities for um, you know for, for people to really exercise their critical thinking, yeah. um, I I sometimes uh, introduced topics that um, in other situations um, would be shut down. Yep. Where members might say what you're saying is problematic yep. and then the administrators might come and moderate and say yes what you're saying is problematic and we need you to go sit with your feelings we need you to demonstrate that you are learning from this about how problematic you're being yeah and um so i went ahead and i introduced some of these topics and um and the and conflicts ensued yeah but the the other administrators and I would would moderate not in order to convince everybody that they must either agree with a certain idea or leave, but we moderated in order to encourage people to deal with the topic logically. Right. Yeah. It's been interesting being part of this group because it's the only forum, and this is so bizarre to say this as a therapist, but it is the only forum, the only group online that I am a part of where dissent is allowed without attack. It is, this is blowing, as a therapist, I'm saying this out loud, I'm like, we should be the safest groups on the internet. We should, treating each other that way at least. And we are right. 
as a group, I'm not including myself in this, I hope, but as a group, toxic, territorial, mm. sanctimonious, condescending, yes. frightening. Yes. And I think, and I think that we are, a lot of us are walking around with the assumption that actually that our own transference issues are better dealt with than, than those of the average individual. Yes. We're walking around, we're walking around believing that our licenses, our, our badges, our, our evidence um, that we have dealt with enough of our own stuff that we are not going to be taking out our, taking our stuff out on people um, because of the emotions that are triggered in us. I mean, I, I at one point believed that a therapist, that, that a therapist is somebody who is aware of their triggers and aware that when they're triggered, that the onus of responsibility in order to, um, in how they function is their own. Yes. And, um, and I've learned, I've learned that I really, I, you know, I, I really don't get to be that naively idealistic about, about my own profession. I have, and I've, you know, sort of shared this with clients that have been with me for a while and can handle me saying this, but I have mm. said and pondered in looking at my license on the wall, I don't know whether to burn it or shred it because, <laughs> you know, what we're a part of anymore has become so toxic. Mm. I mean, just the idea and this is not how I was trained. This is not how I have participated in therapy as a client or a therapist. The idea mm. that a therapist would come to a session with their own agenda mm -hmm. coming from their value system. I mean, if a therapist comes to a session with an agenda and it's based on the client's needs, the client's history, like, hey, I really think this is probably something we need to look at unless something else has come up. Yeah. Get behind that. And even that I don't do very often. You know, it's just I'm very psychodynamic. Right. I sort of go where the client goes. But this idea that a therapist would say, look, I've looked at these influences. I've read these articles. I've read these books. And I have deemed, I have determined that this is important and ought to be now our therapeutic mm -hmm. agenda with the whole concept of whiteness. I mean, again, if this is inner work, if this is something we want to ponder inside ourselves, great. But the self-awareness that you're talking about is the ability to hold the self yes. in its space in the therapeutic hour and allow the client to fill the room with their own energy and agenda. And it just blows my mind. Yes. Yes. So Power I, yes. So I don't want to make the assumption. I think it's easy to make the assumption that that how therapists behave in the social media groups yeah reflects in a certain way how they behave with clients well, and that, if i heard your story correctly i'm using that example because it sounds like she's saying i bring this up with clients does everyone so one one thing one one thing is that there is there is a difference and how different it is for everybody um, how different it is for, for everybody is, uh, is going to vary, but there is a difference between online persona and personality in person. Sure. Like I, like, like, you know, short, shortly after that, somebody reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, I, I want to discuss with you about your whiteness. I'm like, okay, sure. And, um, I, I attempted to, 
to be quite open. And then she said, you know, to, to be, to be fully honest, non-white people don't like you. And if, if you, if you think they do, that's because they're working really hard um, in order to, um, in order to tolerate you. And, and I said, well, I'm actually, I'm going to trust my own experience with my friendships more than, than I trust you. Yeah. Um, and she said, and also the reason why I'm sharing this with you is that, you know, it's because your kids are mixed race and because I, you know, I, I am afraid for the kind of experience that your kids are going to have. Um, and, uh, I was like, okay, tell me more. And she said, well, my father was white. Um, I'm mixed race, but, um, he was, he was very woke. This is, this is the word that she used. And, and that really benefited me. And that would benefit your, your children too. And I'm thinking to myself, so, I mean, really, this is a, this is a, this is a, an individual with a, with a master's degree. Yeah. It's a stranger on the internet. So, but one thing that she told me, one thing she told me, one thing she told me was, so, so I, I shared with her, I believe that if you and I met in person, that we'd actually get along. Right. Um, you know, and she said, yes, that's because in person, I would be working really, really hard to tolerate you. And, um, so insulting. and I actually, I actually want to give her the benefit of the doubt that that's actually not the case. Yes. I actually want to give her the benefit of the doubt that she would either, she would either, you know, we would either connect over some common interests or affinity, or she would choose not to interact with me yeah. rather than, rather than treating me as if I have some power that requires her to, um, yeah, to, to take on some persona that, that, is, that isn't really how she wants to express herself. Sure. So I want, but I want to, I want to give people, I want to give therapists the benefit of the doubt that just because somebody is, um, just because somebody is blowing off steam um, or taking their taking their own unresolved issues out with with people on social media doesn't mean that they do it with clients face to face. Or, yeah. I believe I believe that there probably is some sort of correlation, but I I don't want I don't want to pretend that I have certainty about about how much it is. It is only one data point about about the state of our field. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. I, I go further. I, I go further. I'd say this is not one data point. I'm looking at legislation. I'm looking at best practices and how they've changed. I'm looking at um, rules and regs. I'm looking at a lot of things and saying, these are numerous data points that are mm -hmm. marginalizing critical thinking people and normalizing a culture of groupthink in our field to a degree that I find yes. startling and concerning. Um, yes, yes. The, um, in, in the other Facebook groups, they don't, they don't tend to get the same level of tolerance of, of conflict Sure. In in our group, um, and by and, what I've observed is we don't mean screaming nasty, you know, virtually online nasty mm. things to each other. We mean literally conflict, like disagreement, dissent. 
Yes. You do this in other groups. It's kind of amazing. I mean, you can count. You yep. can type something, hit send, and go five, four, three, two, one, and you will get pounced. You know, by, it's predictable yes. at this point. And it's yes. been refreshing that that doesn't happen. Well, it 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 still happens, but when it happens, it doesn't happen as much because it's not as much of a norm in the group. Right. Um, critically thinking people, right, who are interested right. in you know, but, but there are, you know, but it it does it you know, usually the 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 pouncing people are in the minority. And um, you really and usually think the pouncing the people are in the minority in our field, Michael. You think the pouncing people are in the minority in the field of social no. workers? Like, okay. The pouncing okay. people are in the minority in the in the critical thinking group. Yes. Okay. Fine. Okay. Yes. 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 In the yes. critical thinking group. All in right. the critical thinking group, the pouncing people are in the minority. <laughs> pouncing people. Oh, this is hilarious. Yes. yes. In our field, the pouncing people are the norm. Yes. Okay, so maybe, maybe in the, right, well, maybe in our field, the pouncing people in our norm, or, right, well, I want to, I want to address that in a sec, but I first want to, I want to, I want to mention exactly how that plays in, out in the critical thinking group. We still have pouncing in the critical thinking group, but um, certain, there are really the only rules in the group um, are there to deal with certain kinds of pouncing. Yeah. And so yeah. it is against the rule. It is against the rule to personally attack another member. Right. It is against the rule to misrepresent what another member is saying. And it's amazing that that rule is necessary in a group of therapists. Like this is what blows my mind. I'm like people, the person, right. the therapist, the ethical self, like the fact that it is against the rules of your group to personally attack another person is part of, this is mm -hmm. going to sound like rocket science, everybody. It's part of what makes mm -hmm. it safe to disagree and dissent. But in other groups, mm -hmm. personal attacks are totally allowed. Some, not all, yes. personal attacks are allowed as long as you are towing the line. Oh, for sure. Oh, for yeah. sure. And, but so, so, so not only, not only, so, so if it's baffling that it's necessary in a group of therapists to have a rule about not attacking or not misrepresenting, what I find even more baffling yeah. is that um, this rule has made the group quite unpopular. Yes. The group, the group is popular with a minority of therapists who love it, um, yeah. but it is, you know, but if you compare it to other groups that started around the same time that have 5,000 members. Yeah, the slowest um, growing group on Facebook, right? Yep, we are the slowest growing therapy group on Facebook um, because the the people, the people who, I believe it's that the people who, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna exaggerate. There are some people who just don't want to see those conflicts and that is totally legit. There are some people who um, probably appreciate the overall value of the group, but don't want to participate in 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 the disagreements. They they don't want to they don't want to see it, right? You know, and and so you know, and so they might leave. But um, there are there are also people who who will leave because they um, they 
and and they will often express this before they leave. They they leave because they are unhappy that the administrators are not enforcing specific ideas. Yep, I've I've read it. And I've read it. I mean, it's okay. Let me let me pivot just a little bit because I want to jump into um, the post that you made on this group that I found really interesting. Um, Okay. And we don't know each other, but the reason I find this interesting is because in doing my research on you, I learned that you treat only men. Um, men. I treat mostly. I treat mostly men. Okay, mostly men, not, not only men. Um, men. I, treat, I, I don't. I don't advertise. I don't advertise that I that I treat women, but I do. I do have some female clients. Okay, but it, it, it's it's more of a focus of your mostly practice. Men. I have sort of become, and I think I wrote you this in a message at some point, sort of the Mm -hmm. middle-aged male whisperer. (laughs) Um, I love working with men. And I would say men for me as a woman, as a female therapist are more of a specialization than a focus, but Mm -hmm. it's very interesting to me because you made a post on this group and you wrote an article called an apology to men on behalf of therapists. So you and I had a private exchange and, you know, you said you put a a link up to the article and I read it and I thought it was fabulous. And I thought it was, I thought it was needed from the men that I've worked with and the number of therapists they've been through. And the fact that I have male clients who have been with me for five years, seven years, 10 years, you know, Hmm. that tells me, okay, you found a place where you feel safe. We're doing something that's Mm -hmm. worth hanging on to, right? But I want to get into this a little bit because I found this really important and really needed. Um, describe for us, first of all, where this article came from. I mean, the title tells okay. us a lot. But what were you witnessing? Okay. What were you hearing about from your male clients that gave you the sense that like men are really being shafted in therapy? What was going on? Mm. So from from my own from my own clients from my own clients, I didn't hear I didn't hear that much. Um, I've heard from my own clients, you know, male and female about having worked with previous therapists. Sometimes it went well. Sometimes there were, there were therapists that they felt like they, they couldn't really connect with my, my approach is, my approach is dynamic. It's, it's interactive. It is centered on them. Um, but I am also there to energetically support, um, to, to, provide support with, with modalities when, when appropriate, um, to, to share some, some insights about what works and when doesn't when, when appropriate, when appropriately supporting, supporting them in their goals. Um, probably the biggest, the biggest bit of feedback that I've, I've received, um, about the work with me versus the, the work with, with other therapists is, um, is that they, they appreciate the more, dynamic, informative, interactive approach more. Um, I haven't received strong data points from my own clients that they that they felt um, mistreated by, by other therapists in the past. Where did that body of knowledge come from that made you think men deserve an apology for how they're being treated by therapists? It came from um it came from comments in men-centered groups on on reddit is one Mm -hmm. 
um, there are there there you know a number a number of comments about feeling um, feeling as if their the gender is disrespected, feeling as if therapy is about making men behave more like like women. Their their words. Um, and so that's that's one data point. I mean, Reddit Reddit is not a not always a a balanced environment, and um, but those those one data point. Um, another data point is the attitude that I've seen many therapists use um, when it comes to men's issues in as they describe them in in social media. Um, starting with a, a post that I saw in one group, um, I think it was 2021, where, um, where a significant minority of, of the responses to a question, what comes to your mind when you think men's issues, um, a, significant, um, a significant minority of the responses were, well, men's issues makes me think right wing, Men's issues makes me think erectile dysfunction. Men's issues makes me think unable to unable to please women in bed, and and it was a minority, but it was a minority. It was a minority that one. You know these are these are these are individuals with master's degrees and licenses. Um, expressing a significant amount of dismissing contempt for. Yeah. Uh, a very large portion of, of the population. And also playing uh, and, into and also, pretty real stereotypes. Yes. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. I mean, I mean, even if these therapists don't work directly with men, is there not, is there not an ethical responsibility to, um, to deal responsibly with stereotypes instead of perpetuating them? Right. Right. So that was another, that was another data point. That was another data point. Um, you know, another, another is, um, is some, some research that identifies how human beings in general have difficulty empathizing with men as much as they empathize with women. Sure. You know, so if human beings in general don't empathize with men as much as they empathize with women, if human beings in general struggle to empathize with men, um, it's safe to say that, you know, that therapists are not immune to that. You know, in, in graduate programs vary in terms of how, how much self-awareness, how much awareness of one's own um, prejudices it, they, they differ in terms of how much emphasis there is in taking ownership of one's own prejudices. Um, yeah. There was plenty of, of, of emphasis in my own graduate program about, about taking responsibility for one's own prejudices, but none of that, none of that was, we, none of us were actually invited to consider difficulty empathizing with, with men. Um, so it, it seemed, I, I don't think we have a reason to believe that 
the bias that humans have in terms of empathizing with men and women um, is something that doesn't also apply to, to therapists. Sure. Then another, another data point is, is some of the, the responses to the, to the article. Ah, tell me about um, that. Yes. So, yeah. So in, in one group, in one group, which I, I have found to be, for the most part, pretty balanced, um, there was most of the responses just, you know, quantitatively to the article were, were positive, as in, as in there were, there were more likes than they were, uh, there were laugh emojis in response. Um, but there was a notable number of responses that did not deal with the actual content of the article. There were a number of responses. Yeah, there were a number of, the article does not make a statement about, about feminism. No. Not directly, not indirectly. But there were uh, there were a number of responses um, that um, that accused me of being anti-feminist. There were some responses. There were there was some feedback that that I there was some negative feedback that I that I found quite helpful. Um, okay. There you know there was there there was suggestions there were suggestions for you know for um, providing more supporting evidence. Sure. sure. Um, there were some. There were some points which you know I I, I can't disagree with. You know that. Um, you know that that there's a you know that that my data was not thorough. Okay. But there were you know but but most of the responses that had some problem, um, with the article did not actually were not actually logical responses to the article but were responses to something else sure not and i don't know for sure right not the actual sorry, you, you, of the article but rather sort of the construction of it or the you know number of resources or sources you know it's more right. other than dealing with the actual point of the article mm. that men are being underserved in therapy right but there were also there were also responses that um, that that suggested that something else had been inserted in the process of looking at the article, right? Suggesting it and and then responding, right? You know, for example, the the suggestion. You know, one one response was, "You really don't understand how feminism works." Um, and That's true, but this know, is not an article about feminism, <laughs> right? This article this article actually does not say anything about my views on feminism. Mm -hmm. right. um, and, you know, and then, you know, with, I, I engaged with these, you know, partly because I, I appreciated how much attention the article was getting. Um, and so I, I engaged, I engaged with, uh, with, with many of these, you know, because every time, every time we have the back and forth, then that puts my article right back up in the group, which is, which is great. You know, it, it, it is, they, they are helping to, to publicize the idea. And I don't mind, I don't mind that my book sales jumped quite significantly while people were, were, were arguing about, about the article. Um, 
but I also I also enjoyed it. it. It just felt it just felt like a really great exercise in remaining very calm um, with people who were criticizing me while misrepresenting what I actually said. Well, and it sort um, of goes to the internal bias that you know we run up against this in therapy all the time as therapists. I know I do. Maybe I'll just speak for myself which is that when you have an internal bias, you tend to hear what you wanna hear and you read what you yes. wanna read. And it takes a lot of work, self-work, self-awareness to be aware enough of those biases so that you can take yes. in information that is not fitting into mm -hmm. all of the buckets in your own brain. And that yes. skill, it's actually a skill of thinking that therapists ought to have. And the longer you do this, and I think the more self-aware yes. you are, the more you're able, to, for example, read an article, the thrust of which is a lack of empathy shown mm. to men and not have to bring that back to your own island and put that into the bucket yes. of feminism or whatever issue is your bias, but be mm -hmm. able to engage it for what it is. And the fact yes. that therapists can't do this, again, it's one therapist to another. Mm. I know, you know, 99% of the people who listen to this podcast are not therapists, but as therapists, it's baffling, maybe at best, and horrifying at worst, that this skill, which is the skill of self-awareness, is not always in place as it needs to be in more seasoned counselors. For newbies, I get it. Like in the new stages of therapy, you're like struggling to hold on, the ship is sailing, you know. But it's interesting yes. I mean, where these people are in their field. So you get all this <clears throat> feedback online, um, which is great, because it's you know, pointing to this article, it's pointing to the subject matter, your book yep. sales are going up. What did you hope to accomplish with this article? Mm. Yes, what I, what I hoped to accomplish with that article was, was, a, was a number of things. You know, I'm, um, I have been, um, I have been visiting Reddit. I've been visiting some men's groups in, in Reddit and I've found that some messages are um, will will actually in in some of these groups will receive some very knee jerk knee jerk hateful responses. People who pounce. Yep. Yep. For for reasons for reasons that are similar, but coming from the other end of the ideological spectrum. Right. As um, like you know, like how how some people look at this article. And because it is a very pro-man article, assume that it is anti-feminist. And and I am I am not I am not anti-feminist right. um, at at all. But it is it is very easy for some just to assume that a pro-man article is going to be a, or a pro-man therapist is going to be anti-feminist. Um, I have found that some of my ideas that I share when sharing them on Reddit. Are, are, are pounced upon for actually for being too feminist. Um, there was one time I shared an idea, it was pounced upon by some for being too feminist. It was pounced upon by others for being too anti-feminist. So, um, so one idea that I wanted to share was how men can respond well when female significant others are complaining about their mental load. And I, I got a number of responses, um, most of them, impression didn't didn't really read the article which you know which I'm, I'm accepting is, is going to be a normal lot of the time um, but many men rejected the idea that 
men should be focusing on helping women with their mental load. Now, this is not men in general. This is a specific group of men on Reddit who saw the article. Um, and then a number of other men um, responded that the, that the idea is misogynistic. The idea itself, the idea itself is that, is that an overwhelmed mental load is not only that there are a lot of tasks that have to be done, it's that there are a lot of tasks that have to be organized and that there isn't a system that is being trusted in organizing these tasks to ensure that they're not being done. When, when tasks are organized in a system and we trust the system, then we don't have to keep the tasks in the mental load. And so, and so the idea, the idea is that what is missing when our significant others are complaining about mental load, what we can do is we can support them in, uh, we can collaborate them with developing a system. And another way of looking at this is, is, is stepping up to the plate and contributing our fair share of leadership. Leadership. If it's requested, right? If it's requested, what if a woman is sharing the emotional burden of the mental load? That may not require a logistical response or a logistical solution because the need is emotional. So the emotional response would be validation, empathy, compassion, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, for sure. But I also think I also think that um, I also think that joining in with developing with developing such a system is is a very action oriented way of of validating that what you're experiencing here is is chaos. I think it can be. I mean, we can dive into this because I think, you know, I wrote a book. It's interesting. I saw the cover of your book and there's a series of tools on it. And mm -hmm. I wrote a book um, and released it in 2021. 20, no, 22. Okay. Um, called The Toolbox. And ah, okay, great. yeah, so the subtitle of the book is um, yep. The Tools We Need to Build Relationships and Repair Them When They Break. And I originally was going to write this book specifically for men. Because I was going to make it super simple, like every chapter would have like a picture of a tool on it. And then like a correlating, like, for example, listening would be like the, the directions, like some of you don't mm -hmm. ever want to read the directions. You yep. just want to jump in. But directions is actually what listening is in relationship. You mm -hmm. have to get the information you need before you know what to do. Right. So, yes. I, and then I decided, you know, I got some feedback from friends and they said, well, no, um, you know, don't, don't kill half the audience, write it for everybody. So I wrote this book, but Let's the see. cover of the book is a tool. Mm -hmm. It's a yep. tool with all these different tools. So the whole metaphor of the toolbox is, mm. and again, it was supposed to be written for men um, because I have been working with men as a specialized group for so long. But right. the idea was, you know, when you, when somebody comes at you in the mind and you answer mm -hmm. the heart, it doesn't work. Like if somebody says, oh, I mm -hmm. forgot blueberries. And you said, you know, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. We've all been there. Like it's an inappropriate, mm -hmm. sort of weird. But yes. at the same time, when somebody comes to you in the heart and you answer with the mind or the mm -hmm. head, intellect, which is so often the disconnect between men and women, you know, I'm women sure. with an emotional burden and men respond with lists of things to do. And it's like, this mm -hmm. does not help anybody. No woman needs this. And so I actually mm -hmm. just put out a podcast. I guess it was the last one I put out called, we all need to be bilingual women. Mm -hmm. I'd love to know your thoughts on this, right? Women okay. are born and raised in a male dominated society. And mm -hmm. that's just a fact. And it has been for as long yes. as human beings have been recording history, right? So mm -hmm. the way of thinking that's normalized across society is a more logical, 
rational, calm approach where women come mm. to each other in various states of emotional upset and we're pretty numb to it. In other words, we're so used to being women that when women come to us and they're leading with emotion and they're leading with catastrophic thinking or they're leading with, you know, where their emotions have taken mm. their thoughts, women very rarely, if ever, look at each other and say, okay, wait, let's think through this th critically. Like we just don't mm -hmm. do that. We're more likely to say, oh my gosh, that's so intense or that's a lot. And so there's a lot of room in women's mm -hmm. circles for that kind of emotional space. But then when you get into a couples counseling session, you know, and if you're in a heterosexual relationship, the prescribed way of thinking is you need to self-soothe so that you can think critically. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a really, really um, balanced and effective way to go about, for example, conflict resolution, whatever it is. But it is a male dominated way of interacting. If society had been run and built by women, what would have been normalized would have been a much more emotional way of interacting. And so I break down in that podcast, just the differences in the male and female brains and how we process information differently. So when a woman comes to a man with an emotional problem, which is the feeling in that situation would be I'm overwhelmed, right? Mm -hmm. The first thing that a woman wants to hear is empathic. The first thing that a woman wants to hear typically is I get yes. that. Oh, that stinks, yep. you know, and once you connect with the heart, the head is usually available for input. But I think mm -hmm. where men and women, at least the men and women that I've counseled for a gajillion years now, where they run mm -hmm. into the problems is that when a woman comes to her husband in the heart and he answers from the head, you know, they, they, they don't connect. There's no connection. And so right. the idea that I put forth is like, hey, guys, I love your rational thoughts. I love your critical thinking. I really do. Like, I think that there's mm -hmm. so much value in that. We all need that. But you all need to learn how to speak woman too. You need to just be able to hear emotion and not comment on it. What do you think about that? Mm -hmm. I, yes, no, I, I do. I do think, I do think that it's good for men to have that, that flexibility. Um, I think, I think that one, one reason why a lot of, a lot of men feel left behind in therapy is that um, is that is if they receive if they receive that message too soon. Yes. Because because everybody important. shows up everybody shows up in everybody who is struggling is gonna be is gonna be struggling in an in an inflexible way relying on their own yeah. default. The best tools they've got be, in their toolbox. Yes. 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 Their 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 emotions, um, their their strong emotions yeah. are going to be keeping them in a in a rigid belief system. Yeah. And the flexibility is something that would, you know, that they can develop as they are feeling more safe. Yes. As yes. Yes. And I would say as a female therapist, I have made this empathic failure with men mm. more times than I can count. Like what mm. you just said is so important. And mm -hmm. the reason why I'm hearing it and it's sort of landing on me is because I'm, as soon as you said it, I thought, yep, I've done that too quickly. It, it, it would be as if we shut a woman's emotions down and mm. asked her to think critically, which is a skill. 
And women yep. can do that. They can compartmentalize their emotions and think critically. They can do that, but it is as hard for a woman to do that as it is for, mm. I maybe, if I'm hearing you, I have no experience as a man, but for a man to shut down the rational thinking centers of his brain and get into his mm -hmm. heart and connect in that place when it seems like an irrational yes. problem. And I think what I'm hearing from you is like, as men, we can do that, but don't rush us into that the same way that women don't want to be rushed into, okay, shut down your emotions and think rationally. You're not thinking rationally about this. Mm -hmm. Women hate hearing that. It's probably as much as men yeah. hate hearing, like, what are you feeling? You know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, for sure. Yeah. So it is, it, I have, I have heard far more from, from men than from women expressions yeah. of just, just inability, inability to, to name a feeling. Yes. 100%. I spend more time with men on developing mm -hmm. emotional vocabulary in the beginning of therapy mm -hmm. than any other thing. And it's slow and I have to make the case. I mean, I have had sessions where I'm, it's, I feel like I'm selling a car. I'm like making the case for why you need yeah. to feel your feelings and it's important. Yes. And then I usually will say we're in no rush, okay? But mm -hmm. it is it is a part of you. It's a fun your emotional your, your limbic yes. system is a functional part of you, and the yes. fact that men aren't socialized to know what to do with that doesn't mean it's irrelevant or can mm -hmm. be cast aside. Yes, oh for sure. I think that developing new skills is is just very, very often aided by appreciating where you're at right now. Yes. I mean, I teach workshops and then, a book and I, I, I write down all the, the tools. you got a sheet and I'm like, circle the ones you think you have and put a star yep. next to the ones you know you need to work on. So yes, that, that is an important self-evaluative moment. What is that mm -hmm. like for men? Because what I've run into with men in therapy, okay? is that when we mm. talk about emotions or emotional awareness or the ability to emotionally express, because whatever we don't express, we act out in one way or another, either through expression or mm. suppression, right? But mm -hmm. I have to make such a case for why emotions are even relevant at all. Mm -hmm. And I've had to do this with women, but it's rare. Mm, yes, yes. I mean, everybody, everybody can be uncomfortable, uncomfortable with naming emotions that they, you know, they just, they don't feel safe giving yeah. permission to. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I would sometimes, so I really want to validate, I really want to validate um, men's experiences with their emotional selves from, from the very beginning. And I, and I also want, and I want their, their progress, you know, the, the directions in which they, in which they improve. I, I want that, I want that to be organic. I want it to be according to, to what they, to what they really want. Yeah. Um, so I will, I will often start by, by validating that, um, that one, that, the, the verbal language of emotions, while, while it can be, you know, it can really helpful in working with emotions yeah. is like, like any other, you know, cross language experience is not required for functioning well emotionally. Okay. It, you know, it, I'm not sure I agree with that, little... but I'm going where you're going. Well, no, yeah, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Um, 
Well, what if we were going to say, what if we were going to say that functioning, functioning well, functioning well meant functioning one, functioning how they wanted to function. Two, represented some level of improvement, some level of increased flexibility. Then flexibility from- Flexibility the goal? Say again? Is flexibility the goal? What do you mean by flexibility? Flexibility, flexibility is, is, is very, very often a, um, an objective towards, towards whatever psychotherapeutic goal. Um, you know, so, you know, so for example, if somebody, if somebody knows that they are anxious, yeah. And they know that they know that part of their experience of anxiety is that there are a number of there are a number of more primary emotions that they're not experiencing consciously. Um I I would not require a client to name those emotions. And I would not, and I, and, I, and I would not believe that they have to name them in order to experience them, especially because for some people, that's, um, that's, that's not something that they're going to be able to do um, until, until later, until they've, they've advanced more in their, in their therapy. Yes, I would say in beginning stages of work, um, mm -hmm especially in therapy or beginning stages of couples counseling, mm -hmm. there are so many habits and behaviors that are connected to emotions mm -hmm. that, you know, a spouse usually knows like, oh, he's just mad. Like they're not talking about it. They're not connecting on it at all, but like, oh, he's in the mm -hmm. garage working on whatever. He's just angry, you know? So we, we become so adept at the other person's quote unquote language of emotion. But part mm -hmm. of what I think really evens the playing field in the relationship. And I have found this to be as difficult for myself as it is for all clients, but that may just be my mm -hmm. own disposition is getting to a point where you can slow down reactions like long enough to actually yes. what you're feeling and be constructive about that is actually a yes. huge skill in and of itself. So I would call mm -hmm. that an advanced skill, but I would say that we do need to name emotions. And the reason why is and I use this example with clients. I've used it when I teach about emotional health, but maybe you disagree. When we teach children about their own bodies, you know, where's your nose? Where's your chin? Where's your eyes? And the kid points. And the reason why we do this is because, well, it's cute, but also like they need to be able to communicate with us. But mm -hmm. we have cultures and generations of people who have grown up with no language for their inner world. So they know where the elbow is, but they don't know how to say, I feel ashamed. And so part right. of what I the therapeutic experiences it is many things but it is reparenting and so part of what i'm working with is like okay if you don't know how to name that i don't know i mean i'm a therapist i'm intuitive i can see them in the room but your your partner mm -hmm. your world around you may not know what you're feeling and so that's like going to a mm -hmm. doctor and saying doctor it hurts what hurts it hurts well, like we need language yes Yes, we do. We do. We do need language. We do need language. Um, and, and there are, and one part of the virtue of language is that there are, there are many different ways of representing the, the same, the same idea. Yes. Something that, something that I've, I've observed is, is clients, is male, some male clients getting into, getting into a little bit of perfectionism 
about if, if they are feeling some emotional unease, if they're feeling some emotionally unwell, getting into some perfectionism about whether it's sadness or anger or fear or guilt or shame. And so how they feel, how they feel about the, the difficulty, about the, you know, the, the, the expectation that they must answer, answer accurately or else they won't be no, understood. it's not a quiz, right? We're not quizzing them. How right. do you make it accurate? You're going to be graded. Like, it's not a quiz, but I think it is yes. a worthwhile skill to work on in therapy. It is, but I, it is. And, and I think, and I think that one, one step towards being able to accurate, or I don't want to say accurately. I want to say accurately. Confidently, confidently sure. name emotions is um is trusting that an approximate expression of your emotions is is good enough well one step one step toward one step toward being able to confidently confidently express your emotions um confidently name an emotion is to is is to actually learn learn to feel safe with naming an emotion somehow in a way which is um, not necessarily, not necessarily precise. One experience that I have is, you know, with, with that kind of perfectionism about, um, about naming emotions is, um, is a, is a pause where they're, they're struggling with, well, I don't know, I don't know if this is sadness or if this is fear. And so I don't want to get the answer right, answer wrong. Another, um, Another is another way that that you know that lack of safety is expressed could be with long expressions of trains of thought like, well, I could be feeling sad because of da 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 da, but also there could be some anger because of da 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 da. And I would say most of what I get is not, especially in the early stages of therapy, is not I feel sad because or I feel angry because I hear phrases like. I just feel like she should blah, 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 blah. And so again, one of the skills I'm working on, and I don't, I'm hoping I'm not coming across like I'm yeah. some emotional Nazi. I'm not. I just think it's a worthwhile mm -hmm. skill. And it's a skill like any other skill in therapy. You got to work toward it. We, we factor mm -hmm. it in as it comes up in therapy, but I hear a lot of, I feel that, or I feel like if the moment is right, I will say that's a thought, not a feeling. And that thought is valid. What's the feeling behind it? Mm -hmm. And that is a way that I'm helping someone and men and yes. women alike name their feelings. And I have seen more often than I can count somebody say, I feel that I feel like, and I'm like, what's the feeling? And I right. might put a feelings chart in front of them. Like just skim it. Don't think too much about it. Just name what feels true. And I've seen people break down in tears. I was ashamed. I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. there is great power in that word actually, you know? And so that's where I think the, the purpose is, is not, like it's not mm. a perfectionistic pursuit of, you know, the accurate description of one's inner world. It's actually the ability right. to communicate and connect. Yes. For many male clients, yeah. one step, one step toward that is, is to, is, is to be okay with all of the discomfort that comes from knowing, knowing that your expression is, is an approximation. Yes. Again, it'll, it'll work with me. I'm your therapist. It mm. may not work with mm. your partner. And that's where I think the rubber meets the road, because I think mm. I am there 
to lean in and to, mm-hmm. you know, almost like when you're, when you're, when you're listening to a child develop language, I mean, yeah. and I'm not saying this to condescend to men and call men children. I'm saying this for all of us. We all had to develop yeah. an emotional vocabulary at some point, whether that was at four or 40. I didn't mm-hmm. learn until I was much older. But when we're learning that, yeah, we need a loving, patient therapist who's going to lean in and go, I think what you're saying is blah, blah, blah. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Okay, that's our job. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that spouses have, first of all, the skill to do that with mm-hmm. each other. Or, I mean, I'd have to think about this. I don't know that that's, I mean, I'm a therapist and I am a spouse, so I can do that with my husband, but mm-hmm. I don't know that all spouses need to be able to do that. I think everybody needs to be accountable for a shared language. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what's going on yes. inside you. I'm not getting it. I need you to use language. What I was trying to share is that part of it is an acceptance that our verbal expression yeah. of, of how we're doing is just is just a representation and is not going is not going to um clue the person you're communicating with whether it's your therapist or, or your spouse on on the richness of your of your experience it's going to be it's going to be a representation of it one reason why it's good when somebody is not sure if they're feeling sad or if they're feeling afraid to trust that it's okay to choose one of them to describe their feeling is that in in our relationships the ability to say i feel emotion word yes is um is extraordinarily valuable and vulnerable because yes it's it's valuable it's valuable because it's vulnerable because it's vulnerable it often will elicit some empathy often not immediately at the time but you know but often later or it could accumulate over time um, and the other and the other is that on some level on some level it 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 often feels as if the different words for emotion could all be pointing to larger larger pools of of lack of peace or or hurt if that yeah. makes sense sure it's expressing yeah. the inner world i mean we don't really, I mean, we could paint pictures, we could sketch, we could write poetry, which is still yes. language. But in the relationship, you know, again, if a four-year-old comes to mommy and says, I have a, you know, my elbow hurts. Well, mm-hmm. that's helpful because at least we know where, but we right. still, you know, does yes. it sting? Does it ache? Does it throb? Does it itch? Like there are so many ways that something yeah. is uncomfortable and we have so much language for physical pain but in emotional yes. pain, we come to therapists, and I've seen this so often, both men and women, but very often men, and mm. they're like, I'm not happy. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. you know, and again, there's an approximation, like, okay, that's a start. Mm-hmm. That's great. Very. That's not, a great I'm start. I might say that in therapy, but I might be thinking, okay, good, like, we're getting somewhere. And then there's, mm-hmm. there's baby steps and there's baby steps. And I will say that part of what heals relationship, I think, is the development of empathy in women for those steps in men. And I have had to point that out in a couple of sessions, like, wait a minute, time out. What he's Mm -hmm. doing right now is exquisitely vulnerable. Let's not Mm -hmm. lose this. Like this is him opening up. This is him doing it right now in real time. You're missing it. He's doing it. And I've had to point that out. 
So you've you've witnessed you've witnessed situations where women are complaining about a lack of a man's emotional expressiveness at one time and then another time not showing up to appreciate an emotional expression. Like maybe, maybe one moment, maybe one moment. The problem is he doesn't, he doesn't let me know where he's at. And then maybe 10 minutes later, he's actually letting her know where he's at emotionally, but she's not focused on that. She's focused on maybe she's focused on how she is feeling about what he's saying, or maybe, maybe what he's saying is something that she's, she's receiving as, as criticism. And so maybe, maybe she's feeling, feeling defensive. Or she doesn't know, again, women enter into emotional spaces with each other very differently than men do. Yes. Um, And a lot of times, to your point, women do not know how Mm -hmm. to interpret the emotional communications of men. And Mm -hmm. that comes up all the time in couples counseling, probably more often than not, I'm telling the female in, again, heterosexual relationship, but I'm telling the female in the relationship, like, wait a second, this is him being vulnerable right now. And he's going to feel really seen. And like, you know, usually their energy is coming at me like, thank you. And I'm like, I see, Mm -hmm. I see what you're doing and what you're doing is gold. Keep doing it. And what I might work with on her is like, he's a man, this is going to look different than it does what then your mother or your sister's or whoever, yes. you know? And so I think that that distinction already is an empathic move toward men that's healing, that like, it doesn't have to look like women do it, but mm-hmm. I still will maintain it's helpful if there's a shared language. <laughs> we have these yes. words for a reason, they're part of our English language, you know? But yes, there's a lot of room for expression that's not emotional expression by the book. I feel fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. It, there's a lot of room for I guess what I might call in this conversation, male expression of emotion. Mm-hmm. Yes, something something that I've perceived is is a perception among men. Yeah, that there that the messages about men expressing more emotion are um, are not are not congruent. Hmm. That 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 there are mixed messages about it. That um, that on one level. This and this is something. This is something that you know that I've seen. I've seen many men comment on on, on social media. Is um, you know is the the same woman who complains about my lack of emotional expression um, shuts me down or dismisses me when I'm expressing myself emotionally. Um, I think this is this is rather large scale. I don't remember exactly what. Brene Brown said about this. But, I was just going to reference, but it, it was uh, it's in it, her was, TED it was poignant. Yeah, it's in her TED yeah. talk. Researches shame, right? And she researched shame in women, and then apparently she tells the story. I think it's in her TED talk that this man yes. walked up to her and was like, "Are you going to talk about men? Because we're supposed to be up mm. here on these white horses, and if we slip off, like in the slightest way." There's hell to pay. Yeah. You want to talk about shame? We know shame, you know, and it was such a wake up call for mm-hmm. her. That shame is universal and it's not, you know, endemic to women. You know, if we consider men having difficulty expressing their emotions, if we recognize 
that from a um, like a behaviorist perspective, as in um, one explanation of it would be that they were punished for doing so as they grew up. Yeah. And if we also recognize, if we also recognize that most human beings are raised by more women than they are by men. Sure. Right. So, you know, this kind of triangulates with Brene Brown's statement about how, you know, in order for a woman to be able to sit with a man in his vulnerability, she has to have done her work. It would, it would make sense. It would make sense that, that for a lot of men, the, the difficulty that they have in expressing their emotions, especially with other women, one factor in that is that very likely attempts to do so as they were growing up were punished because they were not consistent with stereotypical attitudes about men. And they didn't only receive these stereotypical attitudes from other men, considering that most children spend more time with their mothers than with their dads. Most school teachers are, um, are women. You know, so this isn't to this isn't to to blame women, blame women for men's inability to express their emotions. But I also but I also would interpret this as good reason not to blame men for it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the tendency to blame. Right would be such a, not that you're suggesting this, but like, it would be such a, um, like a, a, a one-dimensional view of this entire mm -hmm. um, challenge of communicating, right. right? Connecting, making your inner world known to another person and having them receive that with grace and humility and love and willingness. Um, and, but in the battle of the sexes, we're always looking for someone to blame, right? And I think that one one word that we all have heard and heard and heard again is misogyny, you know, which is the hatred, mm -hmm. of course. But if I use the word misandry in my sessions, my clients have no idea what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. I'm like, oh, what does that mean? I'm like, it's the hatred of right. men, you know, but we just, we don't talk about it, but it is yes. so rampant. And men know that. Right. I mean, I have had conversations with men in therapy who have said to me, they're therapists. At times, men who have known me for years, you know, I know I really can't speak to this. I'm a man. And I've been like, wait a minute, hang on. In this room, you can speak to anything you want and your voice matters. So you can have whatever opinion you want about anything you want in this room. You know, I've even had men say to me like, well, you know, I'm a white man. I can't speak to this. And I'm like, okay, again, in this room, your voice is, it's, it's, it's primal. Like you can speak to whatever you want. I am here to listen to you and mm. you don't have to relegate yourself. So as women, you know, women can be quite chauvinist and misogynistic, but I also think men have the mm -hmm. tendency to be misandristic and put themselves oh, in a category sure. and kind of blame themselves. And I'm like, we don't need to be blaming anything. We need to be seeking to understand one another with compassion. 
because it is a hard road to walk when you have emotion and there's no way to express it. I mean, the highest demographic, the highest demographic, we all know this in the field for suicide is white middle-aged men. I mean, they blow everybody out of the water and they smoke everybody. It's not even close, you know? And so I talked to men about this and I'm like, Hey guys, this isn't like, this isn't, this isn't, you know, optional. Like you having a relationship with yourself that is self-honoring, self-compassionate, self-knowing, it's not optional. It's the difference between life and death in a lot of cases. Yes, for sure. Part part of this is a lot more fundamental even than even than genders. I mean, part of this is part of this is the ability to recognize our own internal unresolved stuff so that we can actually we can we can love ourselves even even with it even despite it and then to you know to have to then project that 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 tolerance and that love onto our fellow human beings yes i mean there's the work of humanity right yes right and yeah and you know and so when we are when we are dealing with misogyny, when we're dealing with misandry, when we're dealing with, you know, I, I, I hate you because the title of your post sends my mind to a certain place. Um, if we are, if we are taking out our shit on other people, um, it's, it's crucial that we recognize that it is, it is our own shit. You know, and, you know, to, to kind of circle back to where we started, where we started is that, you know, is, is on, on the social media therapist forums, there is a whole lot of expression of therapists expressing the belief that our own emotions are actually somebody else's to own, that it is somebody else's fault. Right. So a, a metaphor, a metaphor a metaphor really recently occurred to me. Okay, there is a um, there's a book about uh, a specific focus with with EMDR that I I heard um, I heard good good references for. People are like, yeah, I, I recommend this book. So I bought I bought the audiobook and I started listening to it, and then you know with with certain events in my life, my focus shifted a little bit. Um. You know, I uh, I tend towards self-disclosing, so I'll you know I'll, I'll I'll be open here. My my dog died. One of my dogs died um, a little more than a week ago. So sorry. And I didn't want to be listening to this audiobook. Instead, I wanted to either be listening to Pink Floyd's "Wish You Were Here," you know, and I I listened to that song, and I imagine my you know my dog you know, galloping along like the shore of a lake or something like that. Um, and I didn't want to be listening to that audiobook. Um, so, but because I had been listening to the audiobook and some of the complexities I don't fully, under fully understand about the, my phone, the audiobook app, the Bluetooth function, and my car's Bluetooth function, every time I start the car, the audiobook, this audiobook, starts playing and I start feeling strong feelings of irritation about the author about the well about the voice and about the author of that book 
the, the book is fine. I rationally know that the book is fine, but I have I have developed strong feelings about that. Right. Because um, because every time I hear that same passage, it always starts in the same passage. It it in the moment it symbolizes a a total like lack of control, a powerlessness over my over my environment, over the machines that you know that I'm supposed to use. And I see this as a good metaphor for how people are reacting to each other on social media. You know, for somebody to for somebody to see an article that is pro-man, that is not anti-feminist, no. but immediately assume, immediately jump to the quote emotional truth yeah. that it is an anti-feminist article is about as unrealistic as if I say I, it's about as unrealistic as me blaming the author of that book <laughs> right. for how I feel, how you feel. Right. when the complex system of, you know, the phone, the audiobook app um, starts playing it. Yeah. Or even another, even another, you know, at one point, at one point I, I downloaded um, what is it? Uh, the the Baker Street saxophone solo. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's pretty famous. It goes So I downloaded that to be my ringtone. You know, and the way that it the way that it played, it was always far louder than I expected. Oh, it just clicked. I know what you're talking about. Okay, go on. Yeah, right, right. So 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 I guess the question is how realistic is it for me to if I answer the phone and I say, "Can you please stop? Can you please not do that? Do you have any idea how loud how loud my phone is when you call me?" Right, 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 right. Exactly. People this demand that 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 other people need to take responsibility for how others are Yeah being are, are filtering the the communication well we're being blamed or we're blaming others but people are blaming mm -hmm. people when they simply feel this is an overused word but i'm going to use it triggered yes you yes you sit with that trigger and ask yourself hey what's going on here a trigger is an yes. opportunity for growth it oh, doesn't for sure anything that's happened that is wrong all right, so I want to um, be mindful of time because I know I told you an hour and a half. We're getting close to it, but I want to I want to skip a little bit to your book. I want you to tell okay. us about your book and tell just give us a blurb. Tell us where people can buy it. I'm glad your book sales are okay. going up. That's awesome. Well, I mean, they 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 bounce up and down with how uh, you know how much hate and or fame uh, or yes. to me, you know, I'm 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 getting in you know in in these forums. I wanted to go. I want there's there's something I wanted to share. About, about therapists in general, you know, yeah. I could expect, I could expect somebody listening to this podcast, podcast to think, okay, it sounds like therapists are crazy. <laughs> and, and I want to, I want to say that loud people on social media, we, we have reasons to believe that they don't actually represent the, the a population as a whole. Yeah. And one, ex one, one reason we know that is that um, in you know 2009 2010 um, there was lots and lots of hatred on social media about the, the president at the time about about Barack Obama 
you know, if somebody were to spend a lot of time on the internet, then it would appear as though he was very unpopular, and yet he he was still elected. Which, in my mind, you know, in my mind, you know, reinforces the idea that there is there are sometimes on social media a a very loud minority. Yeah. So just because of some of the negative things that, you know, that we mentioned about therapists, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that these do represent therapists as a whole, but I think a probably a more significant risk to acknowledge is, um, is, is I do believe that these therapists are influencing each other. Look, therapists are humans and mm -hmm. You know, humans are social creatures and we gravitate toward groups and we need to belong. And so, um, yes, I think there's there's truth in that. I think what therapists can and need to cultivate that helps to mitigate a lot of that um, unconscious bias and the unconscious tendency to steer mm -hmm. therapy is self-awareness. Mm -hmm. It's self-awareness mm. and self-awareness without yes. self-responsibility is disastrous. Self-responsibility without self-awareness is disastrous. You have to have both. You have to be aware of yourself in real time. Mm. Like what's coming up? Can I name that? Can I talk about it? And then also like, I'm responsible for that, you know? And I think that yes. therapists are um, not immune to a really an epidemic of, um, just a very subtle narcissism, you know, that what I think must mm -hmm. be centered, what I think must be right and true. Um, and then a lack of self-responsibility as well. Like, I, I think, I mean, I don't know if I'm going where you're going, but I, or if I'm picking up what you're laying mm -hmm. down, but I think, yeah, like therapists are human. Um, what's that, what should set us apart should be a pursuit of self-awareness, I think. Right. A pursuit, a pursuit of self-awareness. Yeah. And, and also, and also, yeah, there, there, there is definitely, there's definitely a line somewhere between far enough in that pursuit of self-awareness to be able to effectively help most people who come to you and, I hope. <laughs> and, a, and a place on a path where, where it's, it's probably not a great idea. Yes. Yes. You know, I had a conversation, um, and I, you know, of course, confidentiality, I can't get too deep into it, but let's, let's say it very generally. Sure. We meet with women who are in perhaps bitter, bruised, broken places with men, right? And they come to therapy and they're kind of man <laughs> And I'm like, hey, if that's where you are, that's where you are. Now, from a cognitive perspective, you're globalizing, right? That's a cognitive distortion where you take one event and then make it true of all men everywhere. Right. Like that's a, that's a globalization. It's not really true. It's a cognitive mm -hmm. distortion, but if a woman just needs to vent and get that, okay, you can do that as long as you need to, that's fine. But sure. I have actually had to say, okay, would you date a man who felt about women the way you feel about men? Long pause. No, I'm like, right. So you need mm -hmm. to know that you're probably not ready to date yet because if you mm -hmm. hate men that much, you're toxic for them. Mm -hmm. Like you will be toxic in the relationship if you harbor this kind of resentment toward someone simply because of their sex. 
And you would never date a man who would say this about women. You would never do that. So the opposite has to be true because it's fair. And I think that where therapists are concerned, like, again, self-awareness, if you know that you have an alive, active, cultivated, nurtured, fertilized, anti-male bias, do not see men. Don't, don't treat men. There's plenty of women who need therapy. Don't see right. men. It's toxic. But somebody, but a therapist who has a very severe contempt for men, um, are they, you know, they might, they might, they might be very intuitively gifted at meeting where they're at a, a, a woman who yes. is struggling yes. due to her own difficulties with men. But would such a therapist, I'm not going to ask the question, such a therapist would not no. be well-equipped to help a woman, to, help to facilitate heal. a woman on her journey no. towards That's healing exactly right. with healing their own relationship, their own feelings about, That's about men. exactly right. And that now creates more toxicity because a woman may very well want to partner and she may very well want to be in a, you know, balanced, healthy, heterosexual relationship. But if she's seeing a therapist who has a pronounced anti-male bias, ladies, if you're listening and your therapist hates men and you're single and you want to date somebody, <laughs> you need a new therapist. Like she can't help. She won't. That bias will come out. And that's a problem. That is a problem. And it's also harmful to the client because it's not working with healing. It's not working toward healing. Yeah. It's working toward what? Building community around biases. Humans don't thrive in that. Yeah, that's that that is very much what it sometimes what it sometimes looks like. Sure. Um, but you, you asked about the book. Yes, um, let's hear about it. Yeah. So so through working with men, I, I recognize patterns and how men behaved in, in relationships yeah. and a lot of these correlated with um, with behaviors that that psychologist Don, uh, John Gottman um, observed as predictors of relationships not working. Um, you know, many men didn't know, for example, how to deal with issues with their significant others without using criticism, for example. Um, I also observed, you know, the difference that good emotional management made, um, as in when one is managing one's emotions, it, it is within your power to avoid getting into arguments. Yes. It's, it is when one is managing one's emotions well, it is within your power to discuss serious issues in a relationship without them turning into to arguments. Right. And so while um, responding to client concerns about difficult interactions with spouses, I, I noticed that there were specific problematic behaviors that were consistently present, specific positive behaviors that were consistently absent, um, and so uh, I, I noticed myself consistently teaching these positive behaviors to clients and results were consistently positive. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I put them in a book. Good. And the book is Relationship Repair for Men. Um, and it's, uh, it's on Amazon or you can go to mg-counseling.com. And okay. uh, I'm going to put that link in the show notes. There's a link that will take you to, to Amazon. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm going to put all, just send me those links sure. in an email and I'll put them in the show notes. And then I'm also going to put a link with your permission, Michael, of your article. Um, the one okay. that yeah. originally got my attention yes. and started us down this road um, in the show notes so sure. that people can read that. Um, parting thoughts, anything? When, uh, yeah, when, when people are at their best, they are, they are, they are patient. They are, they are more tolerant. I mean, this is, this is, this is true of parents with their children. When parents are at their best, when they are doing well, when they are doing their own work, they're more patient, loving, and tolerant of their children. This is, this is just a general truth. And yeah. so I, I think that sometimes it's good to look at these big conflicts, the conflicts between, you know, the conflicts between genders or the conflicts about genders and, and recognize that if you as an individual are struggling to deal with something, then, then that is, that is an opportunity for, you know, for your own, for your own growth. And, yeah. um, you know, unfortunately it's not always easy to find somebody to help you with that, with that growth. But, uh, but they do exist. Yeah. Nice. This has been great. Thank you so much for your thank time, you. for your expertise, for all your thoughts. Um, well, sure. Well, thank you. And I'll, uh, I'll send you, I'll send you the link and. Uh, That'd be great. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. I got so much insight from Michael on really the psychology of men and it is different working with men and with women. And I thank you, Michael, for really giving us the gift of presence, wisdom, and humor. Thank you so much for what you bring to this field. Thank you for the wisdom that you're bringing to your clients and the ways that your life is having a ripple effect in this world. Folks, it's good to be with you this week. Stay tuned, okay? Coming up for the month of February. February is Valentine's Day. It's a romantic month. We're going to do a month on relationships. And my first episode in the week of February is listener requested. So pay attention to that. She's got a great question. And I told her, this is such a good idea. This is such a good topic. I'm going to do my next podcast on this. So that'll be next week. And then we'll take it from there. Again, if you want to join the therapy group online, okay? the NP group online. Just click the link in the bio. If you want to follow me on social media, Instagram's the place to go. I am Vanessa the Therapist on Instagram. And remember, your sole work is to discover who you truly are and learn how to love that human being. Till next time, this podcast is recorded in Nashville, Tennessee and edited by the one and only Jared Bentley. I am Vanessa Bentley and you just listened to Substance, not Psychobabble.